and what God's going to do. But if you remember from Wednesday night, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 10 on Wednesday. This is tonight's story is uh, we're only going to cover 13 verses. I'm not trying to rush through this because a lot of people know the first part of the story, but they don't know the second part. But in 2 Samuel chapter 10, we talked about the fact of, of, of what happened um, when David attempted to console Hanun, the king's son of Ammonite. And so do you remember that David sent some servants down there to console him? And what happened? They shaved half of their beards off, right? They cut their clothes and sent them back. It was a sign of slavery. And then the Ammonites got gathered their men, hired the Syrians to fight against David. And David got his men. And the first battle, all the Amorites and, and uh, the Syrians, they just ran off. But the second time, 40,000 of them David had to kill. The second battle. Now here's where it was interesting is that the Ammonites, David didn't pursue them and kill them completely out. And Joab did not. And so that leads into chapter 11. The Bible says that it was time to fight the Ammonites again. If David would have killed them the previous chapter, if Joab would have killed them and pursued them when they were running and wiped them out, we wouldn't be in this situation. But I want to go ahead and tell you, this is not where this story begins Thursday morning I was riding in work and uh going about I guess it was about 7 15 in the morning and I was coming up steeplechase and I thought I was you know how like little slate uh slogans will come into your head or something that you've been thinking about and putting it together and I thought about this and I was thinking about this story and I and this is what I the quote I kind of came up with is God does not cause things but God does allow things God does not cause things, but God does allow things. And as I thought about that statement, I thought about this very story in God is not causing David and Bathsheba to have an adulterous affair, but he did allow that. If you ever struggle in your mind with how to combine the uh, sovereignty of God and the free will of man, there's times where God will stop certain things, but God doesn't always, God doesn't cause these things. He didn't cause David and Bathsheba to have an adulterous affair, but he did allow it. And as we get into chapter 11, verse 1, we're just going to look at the first part of this verse. It says, then it happened in the spring. See, some people think that this is the first part of David and Bathsheba. They start and they continue to teach this. I want you to understand something. This is not the first part of David and Bathsheba. This is not the adulterous affair. It didn't start in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Then it happened. But I will tell you when it happened. David, it wasn't because David stayed at home. He didn't go off to war. And that's why the adulterous affair happened. That's not the cause of any of this. This actually happened in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Do you remember whose David's first wife was? Her name was what? Michael. That's right. Good job. Michael. And David loved Michael and Michael loved David, but Saul did something. Do you remember what Saul did? He took her. That's right. He gave her to somebody else. David eventually took her back. But after Saul took Michael, something happened inside of David and something clicked. And right after that, David showed a disregard for marriage 
love, for sex. He showed a total disregard for that after that account took place. I am not sitting here blaming Saul, but I'm just saying David changed at that moment. And he began a disregard for marriage and what God held to a standard of marriage. And after that, he was with this woman and this woman and this woman and this woman. And he started taking in wives and taking in concubines. David did not restrain his lust. That's when it started. All the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 25, after Michael was taken from him. That's when all this started. Now we go back to chapter 11, verse 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they brought destructions on the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbi. And, but David stayed in Jerusalem. Now the kings are going out to war. Now it is very common that we, uh, Russia and Ukraine, Lord knows what's going to happen there. It doesn't matter if it's wintertime or summertime, they're going to battle. We have the, we have the equipment now to do this. They have the clothing to do this. Then they did not have the clothing. They didn't have the equipment to run through a battlefield in the middle of winter. They couldn't keep their guys alive. I mean, for goodness sake, we couldn't even do it during the civil war, could we? We couldn't keep our guys alive. They were freezing to death. But they really didn't have the clothes to, 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 to fight in these kind of conditions. The mud and the slump. I thought about in Ephesians chapter 6. You remember and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's talking about the, the, the armor of God, right? Do you know why he says strap on your feet the preparation of the armor? Because what he's talking about is a soldier that has foundation. And the reason they have foundation is because they do something to their sandals. Has anybody ever watched... Uh, four wheeler race, four wheeler racing on ice. Has anybody ever seen that before? I was in college and my buddy said, man, I got to take you to show you something. I just got to take you. You got to see this. We were at, they had a little Coliseum there. We showed up there and we were watching these four wheelers, wheelers race on ice. And about 10 minutes into it, I said, is this all this is? I, I had to ask God to forgive me because I felt dumber when I left there. You know, I said, but what they do, they take a screw, a short screw, and they screw it into the tread. And that's how they keep traction. What they would, the soldiers would do, they would take nails and they would drive them through the sandal of their shoe. And the nail would stick out and they would get, they would, this is how they'd have traction. And this is what this verse in Ephesians 6 is talking about. And I thought about this. What they would have to do to get traction. And this is why a lot of times they didn't fight in mud. They couldn't stand up and their people were being killed just because they fell. And so the kings would go out to battle. Their men would go out to battle. Everybody would go battle. But David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I've got a picture here. If anybody wants to ever see it, it's a, it's a, it's a picture of Kurdish men standing in front of Iranian soldiers. You see, the Kurdish men, they decided they wanted to overtake the uh, Iranian soldiers and the Iranian government found out about it. And, you know, just like in that day and now, they put a stop to it, just like the Cuban government. They have no problem killing their own citizens. And the Iranian government, they found out that these Kurdish men were going to try to overthrow the government and they went literally down the street jerking up men and throwing them in the truck. The picture I have here 
are these Kurdish men blindfolded and only about five feet away are these soldiers with rifles. They're standing that close. And right when the picture is taken, you're seeing the gunshots going off and you're seeing these guys falling down. But in this picture, what I have is the second one from the end, he was the last one to be shot, but he was on that same street corner that day. When he was on that street corner, they jerked him up and they threw him in the back of the trunk and he's screaming, no, I'm not one of them. No, I'm not one of them. Now they didn't believe him because they thought he was just trying to get out of being killed. And he was screaming at the top of his lungs. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I'm simply the man selling food. I'm a food vendor. Well, they didn't believe him. And right here, I have a picture of just a second before he was killed. And all he was doing, he was standing on the street corner and he was just selling this food like you would see at New York or anywhere. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Some of you have had car wrecks before. Maybe you were, uh, one man talks about he, he left work early. His boss let him go and he decided to go a different way home to go get something to eat. And he was T-boned, total lost his vehicle. And the, the person had no insurance and no license. He says, he says, I wasn't even supposed to be here. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. We have all been in a situation where we are just at the wrong place at the wrong time. This Kurdish man, I mean, this man was a vendor. He was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. However, David was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But there is a difference. David chose that place. And in verse 2, it says, Now at the evening time, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof where the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. David walked. The word is halak. Halak. I want to explain to you what this is like in just a little bit. What does Halak mean? Has How many of you have never been able to go to sleep before? Like you've had nights where you slept an hour. You slept less. We've all had those, right? Lord knows half of them will have them tonight, right? There's different reasons why we can't sleep. Some people it's pain. Some people it's uh, they're, they're, they're overexhausted, believe it or not, right? Some, some that you're not tired yet. Sometimes there's just a really good show on and you're just, you know, you're, you're into that. Whatever it is. Sometimes it's your phone. You know, you candy crush people. But David, Halak is this. David is walking around because something is happening in David's mind. And he can't sleep because he's not where he's supposed to be. The word Halak is he's pacing back and forth. Why is David pacing back and forth? I think the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with David's heart because he's where he was not supposed to be. His men are fighting and he's pacing back and forth. And the Bible says that he looks over his balcony and what happens? He sees on the roof of the house, the way Israel houses are, they're stair-stepped. You've seen pictures. Some of you have been there, right, Bill? They're stair-stepped. And he looked over, and this is where people began to choose sides. There's people that choose sides, and they choose Bathsheba's sides, and they say, you know what? 
She is not guilty. This is all David's fault. And then there's people that choose David's fault. Well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been washing herself out in the open like that. Even though it was nighttime. Let me just go ahead and tell you. I'm going to blame both of them. And I want to show you each situation where both of them could have gotten out of this sin. Well, here's this woman bathing and she is responsible. Now, the word bathing here, we automatically think that she's laid in a bathtub. But the word just could be that she has a wet cloth and she's just cleaning herself. Okay, that is just two words there. But the Bible says that she was beautiful. So what? You know what, what amazes me? His first, his second wife after Michael that he took, the Bible says that she was very beautiful. I wonder how many beautiful wives David had. I don't really think he walked around looking for the ugly ones, did he? How many beautiful wives did David had and he saw her and he thinks, I've got to have her. I've sat there and thought, what was she going to provide that all of his other wives or concubines couldn't provide? What was so spectacular about Bathsheba that he had to have her? You think about that sin that is fun, right? For a season. And after that, it produces what? Death. It's what I think I want. But in the end, when it was all said and done, it did produce death in several different manners. So he has his other wives. He could call any of his other wives in there, but he chooses somebody that wasn't his. So he's at the wrong place at the wrong time by choice. Verse three. So David sent his servants and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? I love this verse. Because you ever have somebody say something to you and they're trying to get you to change your mind and they're saying it in a manner. Listen to what this servant's saying. Hey, David, um, isn't this Elam's daughter? Uriah's wife? Can't you hear the servant saying this? It's almost like, is this the direction you should be going? Is this the person you should be asking about? Listen to the tone. Now, I want to go ahead and say this. At this time, people say, oh, the, the adultery don't occur until later on when he, when he actually brings her up and sleeps with her. The adultery had already taken place in verse 2. The adultery was done. Go back to, we'll go look at verse 2. Now in evening time, David got up from his bed. He saw a beautiful woman washing and he's watching her. The adultery was already done. Where did it happen? In David's heart. Jesus doesn't discrepancy, show a discrepancy between the two. He says if it's done in person or done in the heart, he says it's the same thing. Same with hating. It's murder in one's heart if you murder the person. There's no discrepancy here. The adultery took place in verse 2. The physical act is getting ready to happen. And so, but he says the word Elam. How many of you have ever heard anybody speak on this guy right here? This guy right here, the reason he says this is because Elam is David's friend. Bathsheba's dad is David's friend. 
The only other time we see his name mentioned is later on in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and he's listed as one of David's 30 mighty men. That means this man was with David through the wilderness, fought with David side by side, and now David is getting ready to sleep with his little girl. I often wonder how many times I, I tell young men all the time, I said, you remember when you're watching that porn on the internet and you're seeing that, you're watching somebody's daughter. And you see them go, ooh. You're watching somebody's sister. And so Elam said, he says, this is Elam, your friend. This is his daughter. Let's put this in perspective. This servant I really like because he's doing his best to try to draw David back in because he sees the fire in his eyes. Verse four, then David sent the messengers and had her brought. And when she came, he slept with her. And when he, she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. It never faced him. I want what I want and I will get what I want. Wow. Just think about this. Think about how David had changed in his spirit and his mind. Nope. He had been this way since his wife got taken from him. David is battling lust his whole life. So he sent for, bring her to me. You Can you imagine those messengers that knew that that was Uriah's wife? Can you imagine the people going to get her? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine what they were feeling going, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right. What if just one of them would have said, we're not going, David. This is not right. What if they would have just said, we're not going. Have you ever thought about that? Think about this whole, how this whole thing plays out. The Bible says that she came in. Now, this is when some people says, oh, I believe Bathsheba was raped. No, she wasn't. Well, if she would have stood up to the king, she'd have lost her life. That's true. I think about how many wives have, I mean, think about Bathsheba. If she'd have said no to David. If he'd have killed her, so what? Did Bathsheba have a chance to say no? And the answer is yeah, she did. This is why I believe it's David's fault, it's Bathsheba's fault. It took both of them to do this. Here's where a lot of commentaries get it wrong. On the last part of this verse, the Bible says that when they had finished the deed, then she got up and purified herself. Now, this is what some people teach. They try to go to the Old Testament and they'll say, see, she had just finished her menstrual cycle. And they try to make this big claim like the reason that we know that she wasn't pregnant prior to this because she had just finished her menstrual period and that's why she was cleaning herself. That's not true. In fact, I've got the verse down there. It's Leviticus chapter 15 verse 18, uh, well, I, I have to read it to you. It says, if a man lies with a woman and she has emissions of semen, both of them shall bathe in water and unclean until the evening. It's that simple. It has nothing to do with the menstrual cycle. It has to do with they were just cleaning themselves. She was purifying herself because she was unclean until the evening. All right. And so don't, don't buy into that. But was she pregnant prior? And the answer is no. But I'll say this, I wonder when David had finished this deed, was it worth it? Was it worth it? 
you know, at the end, we know that there's going to be a baby, this uh, unwanted pregnancy. There's going to be a death of a baby. We know that there's going to be a rape of his own daughter. We, there's a lot of things that are going to come from this one incident. And at the end of the day, was it worth it? Verse five, but the woman conceived. And so she went and informed David and said, I am pregnant. Now, I think there's something really interesting. If David wants to live by the law and go by the law, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Listen as I read this in your notes. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. That's Levitical law. You know what? I guess David was above the law. Because David should have lost his life and Bathsheba should have lost her life for this very sin. But that doesn't happen. But she comes to him and she says, I'm pregnant. Now, I want to tell you, David was pacing back and forth several nights prior. He's really pacing back and forth right now. She, both of them are embarrassed because of this sin. Now, now David's going to attempt, starting in verse 6, to cover this up. Do you not think this was all over the place? Do you not think those servants that saw David bring her up, that people knew? This was well known, but David's going to do his best to cover it up. Verse 6, then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joah, Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, here we go with an awkward attempt to cover up the sin. He said, send me Uriah. So David's mind is really going like, how am I going to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so that I'm in the clear? That's where he's going with this. Verse seven, when Uriah came to him, David asked about Joab's well-being and that of the people and the condition of the world. This is the most ridiculous statement right here. Hey, buddy, how could he even look him in the eye? Hey, buddy, I just... I just want to find out a few things. And Uriah's going, okay, you've never called me here before. but I just want to know, is Joab doing a good job? Is he, is he being a good commander? I mean, me and Joab, we've had our problems in the past. You know, when I put that curse on him, he said, but is he being a good commander? I just want to see. And Uriah's going, yeah, David, he's a good commander. Hey, buddy, I just want to, how you feeling? You feel good? How about everybody else? How about Abishai? Is Abishai okay? Are the men's health okay? Are they feeling all right? Uriah's going, yeah, yeah, everybody's good. One more question, one more question, Uriah, um, before I send you on your way. U Uriah, are we losing or are we winning? And Uriah should have said, David, if you were there, you should know. Are we losing or we're winning? You know, Uriah's probably scratching his head going, this is the craziest question I've ever had. I don't understand. Verse 8, then David said to Uriah, now, thank you for answering these questions. Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the king's house and the gift from the king was sent after him. Go down to your house. Whoo. Go be with your wife, your beautiful wife. And the Bible says that there was a gift given. Have you ever seen that before? In the bottom of verse 8, that David sent a gift with Uriah. <laughs> Do you think this was the proper motive at this point? You see, in chapter, uh, in chapter 10, it was the right motive. When he went to console the king's son, now he's sending a gift as what? 
because of his sin. What was the gift? I've looked this up. Nobody knows what the gift was. It was, it could have been fruit. It could have been wine. It could have been uh, money. But there was some type of gift given. Hey, I'm going to send this with you, bud. Take this to your wife and y'all enjoy this. And then we get to verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. As I read this, I thought about this. That Uriah, listen, Uriah showed more restraint with his own wife than David did with a woman that wasn't his. If you want to think about a man, a godly man, it's Uriah. The man that wanted to do right despite the circumstances around. The Bible says he didn't go to his house. Wives, well, let me, let me say this first. There's a, there's a show um, about the sniper, the American sniper. That's the name of the movie, right? Do you remember when the American sniper came home and because he was suffering from PTSD, and he called his wife and she said, where are you at? He said, I'm in the States. She said, what? Why aren't you home? We miss you. Wives, if your home, husband was home from war, battle, and you hadn't seen him in some time, and he didn't come home, would you be upset? You know what I think? I don't know if Bathsheba probably wanted to look at his face. I think she was shameful for what she had done. And so... We come here to verse 10. Now, when they informed David saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, do not, do you not come from a journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? You know what? I thought David slept the best he had slept in several days that night. There was no pacing back and forth because he knew Uriah was Bathsheba and all was clean and all was done. But when he woke up that morning and found out this man had slept at his door, David starts questioning him again. Why didn't you go sleep with your wife? Why wasn't you there? You know what? This Uriah had integrity and Uriah answers it beautifully. Verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark of the Israel and Judah are standing in temporary shelters. And my Lord Joab, the servants of my Lord are encamping in open fields. Should I then go to my house and eat and drink and sleep with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. And so here's the reasons that he gave them. And I kind of spelled them out four reasons. He said, because the presence of God is in a tent. Why am I going to go to my house? Then he says, Israel and Judah is in a tent. He said, my friends, my comrades and my commander, Joab, he said, they're sleeping in the field. He said, do you think I'll be right if I go and lay beside my wife in a bed? He said, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. He said, having the comforts of home is not fair to them. When all of them are out fighting and losing their lives and they don't get to come home to their wives, when I stand before them, this is it. I want to look them in the eye and know that I did right by them. Can you imagine the knife that just went into David's chest? Because they're my friends, David. And I want to do right by them. And then he said this. By your life and your soul, I will not do this. Wow. I will honor you, David, by not going. You know what? I think 
This man, Uriah, is the best part of this story is his innocence. Is his innocence. Him having no idea what David is doing, what Bathsheba is doing. All the way to, he sends him back to the battlefield. Uh, Uriah maintains his innocence of the king and of his wife. And I believe that is how he's going to die. I think that is the best part of this story. And I think God protected him from that. Verse 12, just two verses and we're done. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also. Tomorrow I will let you go back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem and day after day, listen here. He's like, okay, buddy, I know you feel bad. And I just got to take this knife out of my chest that you just put in there. But I just, I know you feel bad. And I, I, I appreciate the way you feel about the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant and the way you feel about your comrades. And he said, I tell you what, if you just go home tonight, then tomorrow I'll put you back on the battlefield. Just, just, just do that one thing for me. I'll let you go back. I know you feel bad. I know you feel bad. And we find out in the next verse that David summons Uriah and he ate and drank in his presence and he made Uriah drunk. In the evening, Uriah went out and lay on his bed with his Lord's servants and he still not go down to this house. David started thinking, you know what? Because he saw something in Uriah when he says, just do it this one time. I bet you Uriah went. Now he's disobeying a king's order. But the integrity of Uriah was far more than David. And he said, go. And he said, no. Well, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just get you drunk. So he started having this comrade with him and, and, he, and he started making him drunk. It's interesting that alcohol does make you, um, uh, some people, it, it makes their sexual activity less. But what was David trying to do? What he was trying to do was make him forget about his faithfulness to God and his men. And that's how a lot of people, they, they have messed up in, in their lives because of drunkenness. So what he was trying to do is I'm trying to make you forget about your faithfulness. And the amazing thing is, is he still wouldn't go down. Even after all of that, I think there is such an integrity with Uriah that no matter what, no matter who it was, they were not going to be able to make him go back. So when we get to this Wednesday night, we're going to look at 14 through 27 and we're going to see, a, by the way, a lot of people never even have read the last part of this chapter. Usually that's when they stop. But the last part of this chapter is pretty amazing when he goes back to battle and what's told of him. Father, we pray that there's times where we're at the wrong place at the wrong time, like the Kurdish man was. We have no control over that. That's something you pre preordained. But there's times where we're at the wrong place and wrong time because that's where we chose to be. God, help us to know and see the difference between those two. God, I pray as we look at this life that we see a man that is called a man after your own heart despite his struggles and despite the pain that this one sin right here has caused him and also his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. You're dismissed. Ten minutes early.